Yo, yo, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge Under the Influence. I'm your host, Martez. You can find me on Instagram at Martez underscore for show. Man, today I have a special guest on the episode. I got my man, Tim of Detroit Hive. How you doing, Tim? Oh, I'm doing great, 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 great to be here. Oh, yeah, man, I appreciate you, you know, coming out. It took a, took a minute, but, I mean, you've been running around. You're a busy bee, as some people <laughs> might call it. Absolutely, been busy as a bee this spring and this summer. Well, it's actually today's the first day of summer, so yeah, it is. been really, really, really pretty busy, but yet still productive. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. I just, I just want to know, like, when you were coming up, like when you were growing up, like, where did you grow up? First of all, I grew up on the northwest side of Detroit. Okay, um, to give you some landmarks, that's right off the Lodge and Eight Mile. Okay, um, there I went to Ele- Vandenberg Elementary School, which is now Jalen Rose Leadership Academy. Uh huh. And I went to Bobian and Mumford and also attended Wayne State University where I studied advertising. Okay. So you got you got a degree in advertising. Yes. Yep. That's crazy. So when you was growing up, like, what was, like, like what did you aspire to be? What did you want to be? Um, well, as a child, I always wanted to be in business and I uh, wanted to be a businessman. And uh-huh. just, I think, really, business was my main focus. But sometimes, you know, life steers you in different directions and yeah. you find yourself... Uh, trying to go in technology, find yourself trying to go into yeah. engineering, but somehow I steered myself in advertising, and I found a love for uh, commercial photography, okay. but also business advertising as well, okay. and that led me into a whole different industry as far as being self-employed and creating my own startup advertising agency. But first, before I got into advertising, I've been uh, doing the commercial photography. Okay, I've been doing that for over ten years, servicing clients from headshots and yeah. all different types of portraits okay. and fashion shoots. You name it. So you still do photography? I still do, yes. Okay. Cool, man. That, that, that's crazy. I mean, and you write like life. I mean, it. you take different turns in life, and it's crazy because a lot of people, when they're doing something, they feel like they have to have it all figured out by a certain age. You know, you hear, I, when I went to college, you know, I was 21, 22, I'm like, man, I got this degree. What am I going to do with this degree? Like, I should get a job in my field. But then you hear everybody like, okay, you got that degree. You're probably not going to get a job. You're probably going to do something else. Like, and that's true. But- Going to college, you know, you, you gain this discipline and you gain structure in your life. So it's not necessarily, it might not be a degree you're going to keep, but, I mean, it happens. So um, it life steers you in the direction that it wants you to go in. When you was growing up, like, what was the craziest thing you believed? The craziest thing I believed growing up? Yeah. Oh, man, it depends on what age you're talking about. I'm talking um, I'm talking that age where you believe anything. Type. Like, I mean, you almost... Well, I think believe that uh, reality is what it is. I okay. think I start with there, that what you see is reality, and that's yeah. not true. Okay. Um, everything you see is an idea or what we perceive to be reality. Right. Yeah. I don't know how deep we want to talk today. Not but deep, baby. Yeah, deep. we can talk deep. Uh, so I think to start with things is um, everything we see is in the reflection of our idea, uh-huh. and uh, everything we see is uh, is like I said, is reflection of our thoughts and ideas. Yeah. Yeah, and that one. What age do you think you were like having this like mindset? Like the well, that's that's fairly new. Um, okay, that's fairly new mindset that I picked up a few years ago. Oh And wow. I was seeking a higher spirituality. Okay. I was seeking, uh, pretty much trying to find ways I can get a higher chakra. Yeah, yeah. And trying to be more grateful and be more appreciative. Absolutely. And I found myself learning about the subconscious mind yeah. and a whole other different things that. Yeah. That led me into this spiritual but also environmental world and learn how to appreciate all living things. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, man, that's that's crazy. That's I mean, and you're right. Like I mean, when when you hear people say, you know, 
you know your 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 thoughts you got to watch your thoughts or, or mind your tongue like all these things like all, all those those subconscious thoughts they you know become reality they, they actually will come to fruition if you keep thinking and keep thinking and saying it like so if you're always negative and thinking negative you're going to always see negative and perceive things to be negative. Absolutely. And your subconscious mind is, is on auto record. Mm-hmm. So it's always going on. It's yeah. always it's picking up everything, even yeah. when we sleep. Yeah. So we have to be very conscious of what we're allowing inside our conscious subconscious mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it's scary. And and once you, and the only reason I kind of got, you know, know a little bit more, not, not even from a spiritual perspective, but just from a psychological, like I, I was studying psychology when I first got to college. So, I mean, just on a, on a bare minimum, just like, you know studying the mind from a psychological perspective is like it's crazy like and how much you know work your brain does while you're asleep and like it's insane like it's not like your your brain doesn't stop your mind doesn't stop like never does so i mean that, that's insane man so you got a lot going on right now man you know uh <laughs> what are you most excited about in your life right now i think you know when you think about where we've been and where we're going Sometimes it's good to always just pause and reflect and just be grateful. Yeah. But I think right now I'm excited by the now, like right okay. now. Okay. Like right now, this very moment, yeah. just soaking that in. But th- not to focus on the now. I think some of the the things I'm really grateful for is being able to go back to my school. Okay. Um, Mumford High School and being able to um, install the very first beehive in the Detroit Public Schools. Holy crap! And what we're doing is being able to expose our youth to something that. I didn't have growing up. Exactly. I didn't know about growing up. And to be able to be an alma mater of that yeah. is definitely rewarding. I think that's one of the, the the most things I'm proud of is being able to go back to my school mm-hmm. and place beehives there. But not just place them, but sponsor beehives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means that everything that it costs to put those hives up and running, it came out of our pockets. Yeah. So, you know, being able to give that back, it feels good. You Do know? you feel like you have an obligation to your, your, your school that you, you, you went to? Do you feel like you have that obligation? Always. Do, why? I mean... You should always give back because others have done it. Right. I remember other alumni coming back to the school, whether right. it's mentoring our youth, whether it's uh, providing some types of grants or yeah. or just time. Yeah, so yeah. in essence, I think we should always find ways we should give back to those who are giving back to us. Right. Yeah. You know, that's how we create a better future. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the youth are, are the future. So it's like when you. When well, I, I think the youth are now. You know, because well, yeah, a lot yeah, of times yeah, yeah. when we think about the youth, they think about, well, you guys got 10 years, 20 years from now to decide. Yeah. I think they should be deciding now. Exactly. I think they should be very active in whatever they want to do now. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should have to wait till they get to college to pursue their careers. I think they should mm-hmm. be starting right now. Yeah. You know, that's why I think the future is now. I think this moment is right now. Yeah. I think we should just all just let like, that soak, soak in and just be very appreciative of it. Yeah, oh, I agree. I mean, that statement. Yeah, I get, and I always think about that. Like, I mean, yeah, you're right. That that is now. Like, cause when you think about it, like, at least when I was coming up. I mean, I'm only 29, but when I was coming up, I mean, I didn't have anybody like getting me prepped at the age of 12, 13, 11, 14. Like, I didn't have nobody like, okay, start getting the wheels turning. Versus like, you're 18, dude. You got to go to college. You got to figure Absolutely. it out. Absolutely, learning how to build credit. Yeah. learning how to invest in things while you're young. My co- and my, taking advantage of that. My at little cousin age. asked me the other day. Why they don't teach us how to do taxes? And it threw me off because I'm like, you, I, I wish they would. Because I mean, the mindset is that you have to be an adult. Like, it's like, that's adult things. But yeah. I think we can give our children a, a fair head start. And right. there are some parents 
that are teaching children or teaching their children about financial literacy. Right. You know, and about also reinvestment or investment opportunities. Right, yeah. And I think these conversations we're not having, we're still learning these conversations exactly. as adults. Exactly. And once we still try to master these conversations, then we tend to give them off or tend to teach our youth. Uh-huh. But I think it's very, very vital that we teach our youth about these opportunities at a very early age or expose ourselves to them extremely early so that we can pass this off to exactly. others. Exactly. Man, I agree 100%, man. So you're excited about being able to get back to your school and sponsor Beehives there. How did you even get it? Like, what influenced you to even get into, like, doing this, this, this the hive? Like, what? how did that start? Well, I've been self-employed in a for-profit industry for over 12 years, uh-huh. and I always wanted to have a nonprofit. I always had a sense that I wanted to give back. And so I, I created a nonprofit um, not too long ago. It was the first nonprofit I created. It was called Vizzy Incorporated. Uh-huh. And uh, it was pretty much geared towards the long-term effects of cellular radiation. Okay. And I got this idea because as a graphic designer or as a retoucher, um, we tend to stare at computer screens at very long hours. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I noticed that my eyes began to weaken and become a little bit strained because of this. So I wanted to find natural ways how to reverse this damage. And I came across sun gazing. I came across grounding. Mm-hmm. You're probably guessing, what is sun gazing? Yeah, no. But it's, it, the name says it all. You're staring at the sun during safe zones. And what most people don't know is that we people of color, melanated people, mm-hmm. our skin is melanated and our skin protects us from the sun. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us don't know that our eyes are also melanated. Mm-hmm. Our eyes serve as natural tinted sunglasses. They can protect us from the sun as well. I didn't know that. But for those people that don't know, you can also stare at the sun during the safe zone, which is in the early rising and the setting. And this is a this is an antique or ancient practice that ancient Egyptians used to practice as well. And one of the great benefits of sun gazing is that it raises your chakra levels, but also it, it definitely benefits your pineal gland. Mm-hmm. And when you have a you have a, a great healthy pineal gland, you're able to achieve great things. Yeah. But I'm not going to make that spiritual uh, connection. Man. I'm not going to go too long <laughs> on that. But to make a long story short, I was discouraged to, to enter the cellular radiation industry, trying to pretty much t- tie connections to cancer or digital cancer right. because I didn't have much uh, research to go into that endeavor. Yeah. And I was pretty much advised to stay away from that field because it's a booming industry yeah. and you can probably build up a lot of competitors with yeah. corporations. So I put it off on the back burner. And then I was looking for, um, while having this nonprofit, I came across an article that the city of Detroit had well over 90,000 vacant lots. Uh-huh. And they were looking for uh, city residents, but also nonprofit organizations, to reactivate these nonprofit. I'm sorry, to reactivate these vacant lots yeah. for the community. So I thought it'd be a good idea to use and to move in that direction. So we thought about an outdoor photography studio where we could find a space in the community that's vacant and make it into a photography spot where uh, residents can use this space in the spring, summer, mm-hmm. fall, or winter yeah. for photos. But then we also thought about a peacock farm. Something okay. different, a unique experience that the community can utilize where children can learn about peacocks, yeah. where they don't have to travel to the zoo or have to wait for a school trip. They can just walk right down. They can walk somewhere within three minutes in the community and learn about peacocks. So this is something different yeah. to make their environment a little bit more diverse. But it wasn't until I got sick that I, my girlfriend, Nicole Lindsay, she thought about let's bring beekeeping operation to the city of Detroit. Now, I was dealing with this cold in December 2016, and I mean, I tried everything from home remedies to over-the-counter medication yeah. to even resulting going to see a doctor. And none of them had answers for me. And I was placed on antibiotics, and I was pretty much just dealing with this cough and cold for a little bit over two months. Mm-hmm. 
until I mistakenly came across a liquor store in Nine Hilton Market. <laughs> and this liquor store was like none other. I began coughing and just having the same issue with this coughing cold that the store owner recognized it. And he made a simple suggestion. He said, you know, you should try some of our local raw honey. It can help with your coughing cold. And when he said this, I immediately laughed at him. Yeah. And the reason why I laughed at him is that, is that does this guy know that I tried uh, home remedies, or that I tried over-the-counter medication, and even sought the help of a, of a physician? And I didn't think local raw honey would do it. And he said, right. no, this is not like most honey that you can find in the store. This, is, this honey I get from a beekeeper. It's local and raw, and it can help with your coughing cold. And I just asked how and why do you keep mentioning honey must be local and raw? He said, honeybees uh, offer immunotherapy with their product. Is that they visit our local flowers, and a lot of these local flowers or ragweed may trigger our allergies yeah. or pollen that you see in the air. Yeah. And by consuming this local raw honey, it has bits of pollen. That's some traces of pollen that inside the raw honey that over time your body gets immune to that pollen. What? But more importantly than that, it's the wildflower nectar. Okay. The wildflower nectar from dandelions, from clovers, and different types of goldenrod. These weeds are extremely medicinal. They're the bees' needs for not only bees, but also us. So it certainly has great health benefits that if you consume this nectar or honey, mm -hmm. over time it will definitely provide great medicinal value to your health. What? Man, it, for for me, I mean that's that's insane. Like, I mean, when you say like the universe has like a way of pushing you towards things, like you got this cold, you had this cough or whatever, and then you run into this guy at this liquor store. That's insane. Like to think like how the universe just works. Because I mean, had had you not had that cough or that cold, you would have never been searching for you know remedies that work. Absolutely. You know, you know the universe pushed you into that liquor store. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I get pushed into the liquor store, but I'm usually going to buy like some Patron or something. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times in our liquor stores in the city of Detroit, we're not going to find no local raw honey from a beekeeper. We're going right. to see all types of honey buns right. and things that actually are not the best for our health. Right. But this particular liquor store, like I said, is in Ferndale, Michigan. Yeah. And they had the real deal, the local raw honey, and yeah. it looked different. It didn't look like most honey you could find in the store. It was yeah. in a container, and it was crystallized. It wasn't in a liquid state. And crystallized honey is when honey, if you let it sit out, the sugars begin to form and mm -hmm. just harden. But that doesn't mean that it's bad or does it doesn't mean that it went bad. Mm -hmm. It just means that all this, the sugars began to crystallize and harden. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it, it's definitely interesting. I'm going to tell you why everything is interesting. I know you asked me, have you ever been to something like this? No, I have not ever been to anything like this because there is a fun fact you should know about me. I'm allergic to bees. Oh, wow. So, okay. so yeah, so we're sitting here. You're like. Uh, you say you're allergic to bees. Uh, do you know which one? I got stung by two types. I got, st I think there was a, uh, I think there was like a, a, a hornet's nest in front of my yard when I, my first time getting stung, I had to be three years old. Um, that was the first time I had a reaction and not, like nobody knew what was going on. Like it was terrible. Um, beyond sw swole was like, it was like, I got pictures when I was three, like my whole face. And they're like, you got stung by a bee. And we're at the doctor's and I'm like, yeah, it was a bee. And I literally got stung. And now, quick question. If you can recall, when you being stunned, was there a stinger left in you? I can't recall. Can't recall. Well, that's a good fact if you're able to if you're able to kind of figure that out. Uh -huh. Because uh, honeybees, um, when they sting us, they get caught. Their stinger gets caught into our skin. Yeah. They have a barbed stinger, uh -huh. and the only way to pull that stinger or to, to separate themselves or get that stinger out, they have to detach their body. So they have to rip apart their lower animal, yeah. and that causes them to die. Um, yellow jackets and hornets, their stingers are straight and pointy. Yeah. But they can sting us over and over again, yeah. and they can pull it right out without, yeah, I without think them dying. I, I, I remember we had a, um, a, a company come out, 
and uh, they did like uh, some type of control. I don't know. They they it was. I mean, because this this nest was huge. It was beautiful, but it was huge. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably wasps, paper yeah. wasps, or yeah. what have you. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Wasps nests. Yep. Honeybees don't build in external housing. Yeah. Like uh, like wasps or yellow jackets. The only yeah. thing they build is honeycomb. Yeah. They build that honeycomb foundation, which has evolved over millions of years. It first started out with a circular shape. Then a square shape, then a triangular shape, and then they went back to the the drawing board and developed a hexagon shape, which is the least wasteful, most efficient shape found in nature. Yeah, yeah, no. I saw. I mean, when I when I when I seen that, I mean, I remember getting stung. Like I remember to this day, like I being a three year old, and I remember. I mean, you could see the traffic going back and forth from this this hive, and I remember (laughs) I used to just try to like, okay, I'm gonna try to run, and I remember I got low as possible. I'm like, okay, I see how they're flying. I'm like, I'm gonna just get low, and I remember like closing my eyes and like ducking down and running, and it just. And I don't know. It's like it's like I don't know if it's on this side or this side, but it's like it's like a little mark on one of these, and it yeah, or even like. I got stung right here, okay. and, and that left a it's mark. Still there? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was like a huge crater in my skin. Like, it wow. was, yeah, yeah, it was not, it was not normal. So, I mean, that was my. I probably, I've been stung three times. This one was like, this one was the worst because my whole face. I mean, my my skin had swelled up on this one, and then like it made like a big puncture. Like, it, I had to go to the hospital too. It was like wow. insane. And then another time, like I got stung in my leg, and it was like. A big old thing, but I mean, I and I was all young. This is all young. I mean, I was three right. the first time. And your and body's just trying to get used to the reaction. I, I mean, you it, know, there's only two percent of people in the world that are actually allergic to honeybees, and there are over twenty thousand species of bees in United. Twenty thousand species of bees in the world, uh, four thousand or close to five thousand of which there are in the United States, and only four hundred fifty native bees here in Michigan. What? And that does not include a yellow jacket and wasps. Those are two different two different species. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't care. I see anything buzzing with. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm running. I'm. Going I feel out. you, man. I feel you. So, how did you get to bring you? You've never been like allergic or scared to even because I mean, I. Well, I don't even. Uh, I know I'm not allergic to bees. Yeah. Um, I've always been afraid of bees. Yeah. And I think it all started with education, learning about the difference of bees yeah. and wasps, allowed me to get over that fear. Yeah. And to understand, to better understand these creatures and why. Or if they sting us, right? Um, it's only to protect their home. Well, just like when we have someone go inside our house or home, we just want to be very protective yeah. of their queen. They're protective of their colony. So when they sting us, we know that this that they're putting their life on the line. Uh huh. Was so is it true? Like okay, because you know how like they say like a dog. You know, growing up they like if you don't touch it or if you don't run, the dog gonna touch you. They I heard people like look if you don't swat it to be if you don't make it angry, it won't. Is that true? Because I still swat. And yeah. I just stood still and it got me. So, I mean, y'all, I need some um, facts. You got to understand that a lot of times when people are out in the picnics or apple orchards, uh-huh. they think those are bees approaching them. Those are actually yellow jackets. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we go to these orchards or picnics, it's typically around the fall. Mm-hmm. Yellow jackets or wasps, they don't uh, have honey stores built up like honeybees. Right. So, they're scavenging for any different type of sugary carbohydrate they can find or any type of meat they can find because they're approaching winter and they're dying out Mm -hmm. and uh, they can smell the honey or the meat on your breath Mm -hmm. that's why they go by your face and in your hands your fingertips Mm -hmm. the pop the pop cans anything they can find whereas honeybees they have boxes and boxes and stores of honey built up that they don't need to go go savage or try to uh, be so worried about trying to find nectar or, or any different type of carbohydrate to make it over the winter yeah. So I think most times uh, people are really um, afraid or they misidentify 
honeybees with yellow jackets or mm-hmm. wasps. Well, I mean, it'd be see, it'd be easier for me to like, like I'm, I'm like on alert, but it'd be easier if I had one of them little suits that you got. Like, <laughs> that's a nice little little protective suit. Like I'd be around yeah. here. Yeah. So I mean, that's a real nice. I, I, I'm gonna need one next time. <laughs> or if we get close to some little boxes, absolutely, we gotta go in those highs one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So what do you, what do you plan? So for your for your you know nonprofit, like what do what do you plan on doing? I mean, I know you know you you mentioned that it's a bunch of you know vacant lots and all that. Like, how is you know your your nonprofit gonna change, or or do you want to change the city or or educate people more? Like, what do you? Plan well, that's on a doing? great question. I think we first start with our mission. Like, you know, well, Detroit House is a five hundred one c three nonprofit mm-hmm. organization, and what we're doing is we're working to strengthen our communities, mm-hmm. but also bee populations by converting or transforming these vacant lots to bee farms. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it improves the quality of life for our not only our community residents, but our, our pollinators. Yeah. And how that works is that a lot of these vacant lots in the city are blighted, um, unfortunately. And then you, they also increase uh, potential risk of dumping, mm-hmm. but also potential risk of crime. Okay. And well, by activating these vacant lots, they're serving as educational apiaries or educational hubs yeah. where we invite schools. We have we host events for the community. Yeah. And what that does is it constantly activates this space. Yeah. That keeps crime down, but also our bee populations up because a lot of these vacant lots are overgrown with so many different types of wildflowers. Mm-hmm. Also, adjacent to these vacant lots are still abandoned homes that uh, past neighbors have left and moved on. But what's still there is those old fruit trees, those yeah. old vegetables those old hostas and and fruits and uh trees that the neighbors have left behind and one great thing about this is that nobody is spraying any chemicals on these vacant lots yeah they've been left unattended to a lot of these areas don't even have much of a community so you have noise pollution is down but you also have a high volume of wildflowers and Mm. The University of Michigan has conducted studies where they said Detroit vacant lots, particularly here on the east side, has contributed to the boost of pollinators or yeah. the boost of native pollinators, like yeah. native bees or what have you. So these become great sources for our pollinators to find local sources of food. Okay. Yeah. yeah, man. I see you got the. Uh, I see you got a couple of fraternities <laughs> and sororities. Absolutely, that, absolutely. What are their their roles in the? Well, just like we sponsored a hive, like I personally wanted to go back and. Sponsor Hive at Mumford High School. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm a member of Omega Psi Phi Attorney okay. Incorporated, okay. where I pledged at Wayne State University 2005, Root to the Cute Dogs Art. <laughs> and I wanted to find a way that I wanted to sponsor Hive where I can get my fraternity brothers involved. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, we as black men, we don't really do nature or we don't do bees, yeah. like most people say. Yeah. But I wanted to find a ways to retract our roots. You know, and a lot of people don't know that, you know, beekeeping is a part of who we are. Right. A lot of people don't know that Dr. George Washington Carver, he was actually a beekeeper and he, he taught beekeeping courses at Tuskegee Normal. Uh-huh. And then a lot of people don't know about Dr. Charles Henry Turner, mm-hmm. who was the first scientist and first African-American to study bees and identify that they can actually see color and shape. Yeah. So with that being said, I want to be able to get my fraternity brothers involved yeah. and to let them know the importance of bees, but not only stop there, but to help them bring their children right. to this bee farm and show that Omega is playing this part in saving the bees. Right, exactly. Now to, uh, to also add to that, Nicole, my girlfriend, 
she's also a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, mm -hmm. and she did the same thing. She okay. sponsored a, a Delta Sigma Theta Sorority House yeah. to get her sorority sisters involved in sustainability, but more importantly, to get their children exposed to something different yeah. growing up as well, because this is something that we didn't know about growing yeah. up. But also, the question is, how do we create a new generation of future leaders of sustainability? You know, what does that look like? Do we have leaders in environmental sustainability uh, industries that are leading this to attract a younger or diverse audience? Yeah. So that's the question, and that's the thing that we want to feel. We want to be able to reach diverse audiences, particularly people of color, yeah. and to spark their mind and to ignite their mind and to get them excited about science Absolutely. or about about nature. You Absolutely. Know? I know if we make or we, if we spark some people that want to become beekeepers, that's great. But I think more importantly, we just want to have them exposed to different experiences. Absolutely. I think that's great, too, because you you do when i like i said when i was growing up all i knew was that bees sting you and you you either you're, you're allergic to them or you're not but they're gonna sting you and it ain't gonna feel good so it was like he was always running from a bee nobody was like oh yeah there's a a, a bee let's go tourist let's oh let's try to study bees or why are they yeah. doing what they're doing why are they like my my question why are they existing like all they do is sting you and die not like oh they contribute so much to you know everything around us that we don't even know because we're not educated yeah about it. i think for the most part in our subconscious and conscious mind it's been implanted that when we go to picnics yeah that these things that look like bees are always around our face yeah around our food and that's yeah. our pretty much the impression that we have yep. or we've seen from our parents that have been stung maybe they're mowing the lawn and mowed over a nest by accident mm -hmm. and we just think those are bees those are actually wasps that may be in the ground yeah and then just being stung by wasps or like i said in the picnics that's been our 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 belief of what we what we think are believed to be bees, but those are just yellow jackets. Yeah, you do know. You, do you have like a huge problem? Because I mean, I noticed that there's birds out here and all that. Do you have like a huge problem like like rodents or like birds or anything like going to try to harvest or take the the, the honeycombs that? Um, not a huge problem, but there are some dangers that honeybees face, particularly going into the fall. And what it is is called robin season. And what you have is you have the nearby goons. <laughs> the nearby goons is either honeybees that live in the wild, that don't belong to those colonies, what? or you have yellow jackets or different types of ants and hornets yeah. that are trying to get inside that hive because inside those hives you have gold. Yeah, exactly. And what I mean by gold is you have liquid, sweet honey. Yeah. And a lot of these uh, other honeybees may not have enough honey stores, or a lot of these yellow jackets, like I said, they don't have a hive with yeah. honey in it or yeah. whatnot they just got to find whatever they can find and and make the most of that so yeah. um they're trying to rob those hives so what we do in the fall to, to prevent robbing is that we place entry reducers in front of the hive uh -huh. and that just narrows down the entry of the hive yeah. so that maybe only one or two or three bees can go in and out at, at a time, time yeah. and that allowed the guard bees to properly defend their hive Holy crap. So yeah. what what I mean, I'm not really educated and for anybody who who isn't really educated on bees like how many different I guess job titles is it when it comes to 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 bees? That's a great question. Uh, when I think of bees and us, we fair, we share very similar commonalities. Um just like us humans, we have different types of jobs like doctors, lawyers, students, teachers, etc. Right, right. Inside those hives, those jobs vary in age. Uh -huh. uh, starting with the very first bee, which is uh, the nurse bee. Mm -hmm. Their job is to tend to the eggs that the queen lays. Now, mm -hmm. Let me just rewind back a bit. Every bee that does work inside and outside the hive are all females. 
Females do all the work. Those are worker bees. <laughs> wow. The male bees, our job is to only provide genetic diversity, but also to mate with the queen. That's it. Once we mate with the queen, we immediately die. And what happens is our testicles explode, and that's the end of us. Wait, no, no, no. You're not just about to, <laughs> you're not just about to say that. Wait a minute. Okay, wait. So my only job as a male bee, I'm not the worker. I'm, I'm reverse roles here. I, my only job is to re- procreate, yep. and then I die. Procreate, and what you're also doing is promoting genetic diversity. Right. And what I, what I mean by that is that the, the queen bee, she mates with multiple male bees. And she don't die? And she doesn't die. So why do I, why do, why does the, why does the male bee have to die after? Unfortunately, that's the way nature intended because the male bee doesn't have a stinger, and in place of a stinger is his private part. Okay. And the queen bee, her job is just to lay eggs her entire life. Wow. She can live up to three to five years, and she can lay up to two thousand eggs a day. Oh my god! So in order to do that, she need to have all that, all those eggs stored inside of her. Yeah. And her job, she can lay eggs every five minutes. And her job is to constantly lay eggs. And with that being said, she don't have time to tend to the eggs. So the very first job of a worker bee is to become a nurse bee. Mm-hmm. And that's to tend to the eggs that the queen lays. Yeah. Then you have what's called honeycomb builders. Yeah. And the honeycomb builders, the name says it all. Their job is to build out the honeycomb. Right, yeah. And then you have, moving up, you have guard bees. You have undertaker bees. Yeah. And then I think when the very first jobs inside the hive, you have to be around on this earth for 21 days. Mm-hmm. That's when you have seniority. And that job is to be a forager bee. And forager bee's job is to go out and look for local groceries. <laughs> In this case, what we're talking about is nectar, yeah. pollen, water, and propolis. Yeah. They need to find all those things. They need to be trusted to find their way to and fro back to the hive. And they can travel up to 15 miles per hour, and they can travel as far as uh, three miles out and three miles back as a total of six miles and if they need to. But their sweet spot is around one and a half miles to look for food. Because okay. you don't want the worker bees working too hard to look for food because yeah. they can become very tired mm-hmm. to and fro and sometimes it can take them some time to fight, you know, come back yeah, to the hive. Absolutely. You don't want to work overwork them because that's actually how they die. Um, they die because they work themselves to death. Yeah. And the lifespan of a worker bee typically is uh, is four to six weeks. Man, so when you, it's just crazy how you can relate. I mean, even though the the lifespan of things are different, but like just if you just think about how society and how as as humans how we work in our different job roles, like it's crazy that they carry the same type of things. Except Absolutely. the male, I don't know. I guess if that was a real thing in real life, like if that happened to men now, we there. I mean, well, like as men, we carry the seed. You know, we carry yeah. the seed. And we don't, you know, our job is to impregnate and mm-hmm. it's a whole different conversation, but, you know, our job is to procreate. Right, yeah. Yeah, know? but it's just scary to be like, I mean, I wouldn't be around here touching nobody. I'd be like, yep, nope, I ain't, nope, I want to live. Nope, so y'all going to procreate without but me. But here's the problem, though. During the winter, you know, that's when the men, the male bees are kicked out because they don't contribute to the hive. They <laughs> will only eat all the honey. So the, what the worker bees do is they kick them out the hive. And a lot of them refuse to leave, and you can see a lot of times during the, the fall that they're doing tuscaline, and sometimes you may see one or two worker bees dragging out the male bees. <laughs> and then I hear that even if they try to come back, worker bees will even bite their wings off if need be and then fly them back out so that they can't fly back to the hive. See, and I always thought, like, I'll see, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of see that, like, I'll see, and I'm like, what are those two bees doing? Like, I'll see that, or... And I'm like, oh, they, you know, it's a wounded bee, and he just carrying them. Like, yeah, he wounded because the other one wounded him, and I. Yeah. Tried. But also, you have undertaker bees too. A lot of times, when those bees are getting close to dying, mm-hmm. 
Undertaker bees will remove dead bees or bees about to die from the hive. You can see them even flying them. I've seen them, Undertaker bees, fly bees or dead bees yeah. past this fence. Yeah. And they'll just drop them off. Man, bees are some thugs. See, that's why I like them. Yeah. They really are some thugs. They have a real crazy system that works and they absolutely like the hierarchy like it's insane but i mean that's good to be educated because i didn't even know like and I'm, I'm sure i mean i've heard of ants like you know i've watched movies like you know the movie ants or a bug's life or the b movie absolutely and you see in like obviously these are like real roles i mean yeah we want to get a little deep we can but you know uh honeybees they don't originate they don't originate here in the united states they originate from africa okay and um honeybees were Raised in the wild, you know, they were mm -hmm. raised in areas where, depending on their environment, it, it kind of made and kind of molded them to who they are. Hmm. And um, depending on the environment, like I said, they've been around for over 400 millions of years. So they are used to people trying to get inside their hive, yeah. whether it's honey badgers, whether it's humans, whether it's any different type of yeah. spiders or insects, that they develop like a no-nonsense attitude. They have a mm. mean mug on their face. Yeah, yeah. So they become very protective of their hive, and they've been carrying this DNA to other offsprings of honeybees. Yeah. So people began to travel to Africa, particularly from other countries, and they wanted to have these Africanized honeybees where they're from. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that they collected some Africanized honeybees. Some they kept and some that some escaped. Yeah. The ones that escaped, they began stinging everyone in, in their path, whether they were the beekeeper or whether they're just innocent bystanders. Dang. And these bees, these Africanized bees have been labeled killer bees. Yeah. You know, and all they are are just a product of their environment. Right. They're a product of what's been happening in their neighborhoods. Right, they're a right. product of people that's been knocking on their doors or breaking inside their homes or stealing their cars. Or, and I'm making a, 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 a tie-in or association oh, yeah. to a lot of times our inner city youth. Yeah, yeah, our yeah. inner city youth are sometimes labeled as a threat to society or they're labeled as thugs or what have you. But mm -hmm. in essence, they're just definitely a product of their environment and they develop a no-nonsense attitude. So what happened in this case is that those honeybees or those Africanized bees that they kept, they did something to their DNA. Yeah. They created different types of hybrids of them or different types of uh, species of bees yeah. that made them more docile. Yeah. And now we have different types of uh, species like Italian honeybees, mm -hmm. in which the ones that we keep here at our farm. But you also have Russian and colonial and Caucasian honeybees. Shut up. And what's happening is that <laughs> these bees aren't the same DNA strand. Yeah, no. And one of the problems with you don't have the original DNA strand is you don't have that same DNA code to be able to survive like the Africanized honeybees. Yeah. Because the Africanized honeybees are doing fairly well. And the reason being is that they have that wild instinct that they have lot. any type of pest or insect, they know how to fight it off. Whereas you have these docile honeybees, they don't have that same DNA. Mm -hmm. And they're so docile that they're allowing these pests or insects to pretty much weaken their health. Yeah. So um, that's why beekeepers have to come in and manage these honeybee colonies because they don't they don't have the same DNA as the yeah. Africanized ones. Man, that's insane. Like even even think like to, to break it down like that. Like man, if I didn't know, like I mean, obviously I'll do my own research to be like, man, they got Italian honeybees or da da da. Like it's insane. But I mean, you got you said how many different species of bees? So many different species. Right now, I I know about the Italian ones. That's the beekeeping standard, and these are very docile bees. Mm -hmm. These are the bees that you can keep, and you see a lot of times people can beekeep with no with no type of protective gear on yeah. because they're that docile. 
But the problem is when you have a colony that's that docile, you don't have no type of defense mechanism. Right. You just allow anything inside your hive. You don't have that same DNA. Whereas you have aggressive honeybee, that's how they know how to survive. And honeybees, like let let me remind you, they've been around for over 400 millions of years. So you want a good honeybee colony that know how to be very protective of their hive, whether it's an insect, whether it's even a sickness. They know how to fight it off. Right. Man, I'm just looking at your Instagram here, man. You're getting a lot of buzz. How long has it been around? <laughs> well, we've been around for a little over two years. May 23rd, 2017 is where we officially kicked off our project. Did you expect this to be, like, as big? Because, I mean, I see you did things with, like, Nat Geo. I mean, you've done... <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been stirring up quite a bit of buzz. I think <laughs> for the most part, uh, I knew people were... They really... We don't typically fit what most people define or portray as beekeepers. Right. I think our story is different. Yeah. Um, I I knew that our story will would catch the attention for most people because it's one of uh, a cry for help, uh-huh. um, a cry for help for to better our own health. Yeah. A cry for help to better our own communities, but also uh, being able to appreciate the environment yeah so with that being said we're, we're tackling several things we're tackling how do we better ourselves as community residents mm-hmm. then also how do we better our health as selecting healthier options mm-hmm. and then lastly it's like once again how do we better ourselves mentally uh, how do we grow and learn and appreciate all living things and and become active stewards yeah so i think that's why our story being able to qu- share quite a bit of buzz um, because we don't typically fit that stereotype of beekeepers. Well, I mean, and one, I mean, just just the bare minimum, just for observation. I mean, you're African American, so when I saw that, I mean, like I said, growing up, we didn't know anything about like edu- we were educated like highly on bees. So it's like I, you just run from bees, or when you go to picnic, you get them out, you keep my stuff, you know. So for me, what attracted me to 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 you and what you're doing over here is your African-American. So that was able to resonate with me, like, okay, I got this African-American male and woman, you know, out here in this environment, and they're educa- re-educating, you know, the community. Let me see what it's all about. So I think that's huge, one, being African-American beekeepers. Coming back to the city, it's not like you took your, you know, took your nonprofit out to, like, you know, uh, uh, another city. Like, you're right here in on the east side, so that's Absolutely. That's great. Plus, one thing Nicole and I made a commitment to is we're saying yes to the universe. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in business, we're often trained to say no. And it's, you know, learning how to say no. But in this case, learning how to say yes right. has uh, propelled us to where we're at. And I think uh, it all started with uh, us becoming bee parents. Mm-hmm. Um, our instructor was instrumental in having us keep bees, but we thought it was too early. Yeah. We were only like a weekend and, you know, weekend of, of learning uh, about bees and it hasn't even been a month. Yeah. And she asked us, do we want to keep bees? And I was a little hesitant. Yeah. But Nicole reminded me, hey, we had this thing where we were going to say yes, yes to every yeah. opportunity that come to us. So, of course, we said yes. That opportunity later grew into, hey, would you like to come uh, to the school and speak to the children. Mm-hmm. We never spoke about apiology or, you know, that's the science of honeybees or about the importance of bees. You know, we were a little bit nervous. We felt that we were brand new, but once again, we made a commitment. So that turned into another yes. Yeah. And then when the media reached out, I was like, oh, we really don't know too much about this and we're a little nervous. So when that media opportunity reached out, of course, we said yes. Right. That media opportunity led to many other opportunities to yeah. us being featured in uh, Germany and from there being featured in Huffington Post. And when Huffington Post shared our story, you know, it just went on and on and on. And yeah. we, we've been able to inspire so many beekeepers to yeah. come here in Michigan and or in Detroit 
to also uh, keep this practice going as yeah. well. We've been very instrumental in inspiring many other beekeepers here in the city. As you should, yeah, and, that, and yeah. that's good. Like I said, to even to just get that having that being African American to, to re-educate your community, and like I said, keep that. Yeah. knowledge and stuff right within the community and like you're on the east side like it's not like we're somewhere like in Labonia or Canton you know absolutely and what people don't realize is the areas that most people neglect mm -hmm. like the vacant lots the areas that aren't being revitalized right those are the areas that bees are flocking to yeah and they're not going to the suburbs they're not going to those areas where you see big huge mansions and nice pristine lawns because uh -huh. there's food deserts there yeah whenever you see a nice lawn or a nice suburban area and all you see is pristine green grass yeah. and not one daylight in sight that's a food desert yeah. so to know that the bees they sense they know where the true value is mm -hmm. and they can sense where uh, a lot of these great grasslands are and it just so happens to be in areas that most people overlook yeah and that's where you can find all the resources all the files all the rabbits all the different types of animals that are here just in vacant lots that most yeah. people are overlooking yeah yeah Man, I mean, I think you got a real good story. I think you and Nicole, I think your story is awesome. I mean, what my thing is, is like, you know, if you just from anybody hearing your story, if you could influence anybody to do, you know, anything for the community, like what would you want them to take from your story? If I can influence or what I want them to take from my story, yeah. I think be the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, some people may go in the direction of environmental uh, some people may go in the direction of being a youth mentor. Mm -hmm. I think being the best version of yourself, that's where Detroit High started. Is It's all stemmed from how do we raise our higher chakra? How do we become more grateful? Right. How do we become more appreciative? But also, how do we fill a need? Yeah. How do we fill the gap? And I think for us, it's, we want to better our health. We want to find ways we can consume more honey and less white sugar mm -hmm. and less high fructose corn syrup. But also we want to make our communities better. Yeah. The city is not building new homes in some of these areas. Yeah, no. A lot of these areas are hit. And they're looking for residents like you and I. Yeah. Or they're looking for nonprofits to help fill that need. Yeah. And I think it's important that someone like me from the city show that leadership because a lot of times when we're looking at someone to help fix our neighborhoods, we're looking for uh, city officials or yeah. we're looking for district managers or yeah. some type of nonprofit to come in and save it. the day. And I think what's great about our story is that we are our own superheroes. Mm -hmm. We wear our own capes mm -hmm. and we're doing everything from the grassroots. We're mm -hmm. not someone that had a multi-million dollar budget. We're someone that just started with started with three beehives. Yeah. And now we're in seven locations and have 32 beehives throughout the Metro Detroit oh, area. And we do have a five-year goal. So we're not just trying to do one vacant lot or we just want a couple projects and that's the end. We do have a vision. We have a long-term vision that's ongoing. And that's what corporations, that's what nonprofit leaders want to see. It's like, what's next? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to keep this mission going? and then bring somebody else along onto your mission to keep it sustainable well i mean that's my final and last question like if you know let's j just paint a picture for your vision for you know your your nonprofit in the next five years you know what it, what does it look like you know what man that vision is becoming closer and closer to reality yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right now our five-year plan includes to revitalize 45 vacant lots or 45 parcels here in the city of detroit also we want to increase our high projection right now we had 32 beehives mm -hmm. we want to be at 200 hives by year 2023 oh and then lastly we want to establish a learning center where we can educate the community all year round on the importance of bees but also a place where we can sell local raw honey to the community yeah. right now we're proud to say that i think we're close to achieving this goal in less than three years oh, wow. and we're working to revitalize 50 parcels in the city of detroit and this area will also serve as our headquarters oh wow so yeah
I'm excited. And this man. this particular project, what I love, what I think, what I love most about this project, is in is is going to be in one of the worst zip codes in America. Yeah. And that's the 48205 zip code where you have a lot of high crime and a lot of blight. But I like taking on projects like that because that's where we can show an impact on two levels. For mm -hmm. one, um, being able to reduce crime or help reduce crime, help reduce blight, but also increase bee populations. Oh yeah. Man, I like I like the plan. I like the plan. I love it. Actually, I, I'm glad that you came and uh, and you educated me because I mean, now even just giving as much as you giving me, like I mean, it's it's up to me to like one double check. I mean, you you mean even though you've been doing that, I mean, you know, I just gotta trust what you say. So I'm definitely gonna do more research and just to see like, okay, wow, this is in in fact true, you know, and not not just because you're not credible because I need to educate myself further than just an interview, you know. So I really do appreciate you sharing this knowledge. I appreciate you what you're doing for the community. And you know, like I said, you you going back to your school and, and, and being able to educate them and you know and, and stir up thoughts and, and ideas into their mind, you know, and not just let them drift away to, oh, let's just only be a basketball player or do this. No, there are other things that you can do in other ways to, you know. Absolutely. And you don't need a whole lot of money to get it done. Exactly. I think more importantly a lot of times some people in the community they worry about gentrification happening mm -hmm. they're worrying about uh companies coming in right uh developers coming in right. and pushing them out but i think about our story is like you don't have to be a victim right you can take on that side lot that's next to your house you can go down form a community partnership and learn how to buy vacant lots in your city mm -hmm. and create what you want to see in your own neighborhood yeah. you don't have to be a victim and i think that's why one of the reasons why our story is being shared because they want us to. They want to use this as a platform that mm -hmm. you don't have to be a victim. Yeah. You don't have to complain. You can right. do something about it. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I, you know, like I said, thank, thanks for actually doing the interview, man. And I, and I look forward to um, the expansion of your your nonprofit and, and the education of um, what you're doing out here, man. is great. Where can uh, where can people find you on like uh, social media? That's a great question. We're always looking for people to help join the hive. Um, first, you can find us on our website at www.detroithives.com, but also look for us on social media, on all of your social media handles from YouTube to Twitter to Facebook and Instagram at Detroit Hives. Okay. Yeah, cool, man. I got uh, I got Tim, man, Detroit Hives, man. His girlfriend, Nicole, wasn't able to join us, but she was here <laughs> with us. Um, yeah, she was buzzing around somewhere. Yeah, definitely here with us. I mean, I definitely just want, <laughs> want to thank uh, thank them for sharing their story and their journey, man. Anybody that's listening, um, you know, we got to support each other. And, and our youth, they're, they're now. Like Tim said, they're, they're now. So we definitely got to get a handle on them and start, you know, educating them and, and getting them in the mindset of, you know, we always say, if I knew then what I know now. Absolutely. We can put them in the, in the, in the mindset to, to know what we know now at their age. So let's uh, let's definitely re-educate them. And, man, come out here and check it out. I mean, for me, I'm allergic, but it's a nice little setup. I mean, it, it's very <laughs> clean and looks really, really good over here. So, man, check it out and find ways to support, man. Even if you share a post, like a post, or even do a volunteer event, man, we got to learn to support each other and keep gentrification from happening, man. We got to just build a strong community, and it starts with uh with ourselves really and getting involved so man once again this is a knowledge under the influence man i'm martez i'm your host follow me on instagram at martez underscore for show that's f-a-s-h-o man thanks for listening